Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, everyone. I'm your host, Gentleman Ian, and in this video, we are going to be running down everything that took place on AEW Dynamite on, what was that, January 26th, I want to say? Yeah, January 26th from Cleveland, Ohio. It was beach break. The warm, luxurious beaches of Cleveland, Ohio in January. If you're wondering why this event was called Beach Blast, even though it was from Cleveland, you might remember that the Chris Jericho cruise was uh, supposed to be in, in January. So this would have been like the first show after the cruise. So I don't think it was originally scheduled to be, you know, in Cleveland. It probably would have been uh, somewhere where the, the cruise docked or it would have been on the cruise itself. But regardless, they didn't get to do that because Jericho's cruise ended up getting uh, postponed. I'm not sure when they're doing the the next one, but this most recent one they had to they had to cancel. Uh, <laughs> so that's why we got beach break in Cleveland. But it started out with honest to God one of the best ladder matches I think I've ever seen in my life. Certainly one of the most exciting ladder matches that I've seen in my life. Sammy Guevara versus Cody Rhodes, the TNT title for title it was the interim champion Sammy Guevara against the champion, Cody Rhodes. Of course, uh, these two were supposed to meet in a non-ladder match at Battle of, Battle for the Belts, but Cody Rhodes had been exposed to COVID. He couldn't be there, so they then had the interim match where Sammy Guevara beat Dustin Rhodes. So we get this title for title, you know, dating back till, to Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania. Anytime you've got two people claiming to be a champion... You take both of those belts and you hang them from the rafters, or not the rafters. Well, yeah, I guess they, they come down from the rafters. And you have a ladder match to decide who is the undisputed champion. And I I thought Cody was going to win this for sure, for sure. It feels like that TNT title always goes through Cody, right? Like, if you're going to win the TNT title, you're either going to have to beat Cody for it, you're going to have to defend it against him, or you're going to eventually lose it to him. So I, I thought Cody was going to come out the winner. I was pleasantly surprised, not pleasantly in the sense that I didn't want Cody to win, but I did want Sammy to win. I think it's a huge victory for Sammy Guevara and starts to put him on another level. Like, he was... He was definitely approaching another level anyway, but I think this match just kind of pushed him over the top. Because if you look at Sammy Guevara's career in AEW, you know, a lot of it was was spent, a lot of it has been spent being a guy in the inner circle. And he would take part in the inner circle feuds with, say, like the Pinnacle or the Elite, and he was a guy in that feud. But now Sammy Guevara is more his own guy than ever before. Like he's more solo and separate and a star away from the inner circle than he had been previously. And just how well this match has been received from fans, I think now puts him in another level where you, where you can have this guy main eventing pay-per-views if you have the right storyline or angle. I mean, he can certainly main event dynamites. He's done that before. But I think now Sammy Guevara, when you hear that there's a big Sammy Guevara match coming up, you get excited because you know it's going to be awesome. Because you look back to his resume of matches, and this one's going to stick out at you. And you're like, 
Man, Sammy Guevara only has good wrestling matches. I wanted to go over some of like the bigger spots of this match, but that would honestly, I mean, there was just too many of them to really do that. I think the biggest ones that everybody um, is is talking about is that springboard cutter that Guevara hit Cody with um, off the ladder. That obviously, like it, it just it landed so perfectly that I, I, I just you couldn't possibly hit that move any better than he hit it. The other one that I thought was really cool, well, I thought there was a, a lot of great spots in the match, obviously, but one of the bigger ones was this massive superplex that Cody gave Sammy. And it looked like, I mean, Sammy must have fallen like 20 feet onto his back. and But Cody actually did this so well because they only had so much room. So Cody's got Guevara up in the air, but Cody's got to kind of like fall back but like not too far back or else Sammy would hit the ropes kind of thing and he did it perfectly and it looked like it really hurt both guys and even though like Sammy is going to get the majority of of praise for how this match went because it seemed like he did the bigger moves Cody is I mean we've seen it in recent months with Cody he's going to go all out to try and and put some respect on his name a little bit. Not that he's not respected by the right people or anything like that, but he maybe is trying to win over those that have decided they're going to boo him. And I think as evidence of this is a lot of the stuff that he did in this match with Sammy Guevara, like going out and having a ladder match with someone who's willing to take the risks that Sammy Guevara is, is pretty gutsy. And then you just need to go back to that show they did in Atlanta where Cody went through a flaming table and he still has the burn marks all over his back from it. I just worry a little bit that if somebody doesn't rein Cody Rhodes in, he's going to keep going bigger and bigger trying to, you know, trying to get more people on his side. But it did seem as though he came closer to turning heel in this match than he has in any other matches. Like he sort of like, cause he gave the, the pile driver to Fuego del Sol. Now mind you. Okay. So in the character in Cody's character's mind. So not Cody Rhodes, the performer, not Cody Runnels in Cody Rhodes's mind. He's a baby face. And he can justify giving a pile driver to Fuego del Sol because Fuego del Sol got in the ring. Fuego del Sol was stopping him from climbing the ladder and retaining his title. So to Cody Rhodes, the character, that's not a heel move, even though everybody loves Fuego del Sol. But it, it, it just seemed like Cody was uh, wrestling a little bit more like a heel in this match than he has recently. Sammy Guevara came off as the underdog, the guy who had to risk everything to beat someone on the level of Cody Rhodes. The other big spot I think that draw that a lot of people have been talking about is when Sammy Guevara climbed up that like super ladder and gave the senton onto Cody on the ladder below. I don't know if the ladder was supposed to break or not, but it definitely did not. And it looked like it hurt both guys. 
because with there being no give on that ladder, Cody is just being hit in the stomach by a guy falling 15 feet. Eh, maybe not, no, 10 feet. So imagine having, I don't know how much Sammy Guevara weighs, maybe like 185, 190 pounds. Imagine having 190 pounds just fall on your stomach from 10 feet up in the air. That's going to hurt. Like, if there's no give to it, if there's no give to what you're laying on, that's going to hurt quite a bit. And for Sammy, there was no give to Cody or the ladder either. So that must have really hurt Sammy as well. So according to, oh, who did, who said this? I, I think it was Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer. He said that uh, everybody's fine coming out of that match. I think fine is maybe a relative term. There's no way they're coming out of it not sore, but no, no serious injuries to report anyway. And now Sammy Guevara is the TNT champion. I wonder what's next for Cody Rhodes now. Like Sammy's going to go on. Except we had Wardlow in his hometown, and I started to think that this was going to be the show that Wardlow was going to turn on the other members of the Pinnacle, that this was going to be the episode where he finally turned on Maxwell Jacob Friedman, but it it, it didn't happen. It, it seemed like it was going to, the crowd seemed like they really wanted it, but never happened. So Wardlow did his thing where he came in and he ran through two enhancement talents named Elijah Dean and Jake Alexander. Wardlow's from Cleveland. Crowd was super into him. He just does his powerbomb symphony, takes them out. It looks like Sean Spears is going to come in and do that thing where he hits him with chairs and all this, but uh, Wardlow talks him out of it, and that's it. That's just the end of the segment. There's no more angle. The only thing that we're to take away from this match and, and segments in total is Wardlow is really, really good and power bombs people. And that's it. Then we moved on to Chris Jericho, Santana, and Ortiz taking on Daniel Garcia in 2.0. More on Wardlow later. It wouldn't be the last time we'd see Wardlow. But I thought we just kind of got this tease that he could go babyface later in the show. Like... He comes out. The crowd was so into him. It's his hometown. They brought up that it was his hometown. It started to get the gears rolling in my head like, this could be the night. This is AEW. AEW loves to do special things for guys in their hometown. Maybe, maybe he turns on MJF tonight. But then we just, you know, we moved on to the next match. Chris Jericho and Santana Ortiz taking on Daniel Garcia in 2.0. Now, the storyline in this match leading up to it is that Eddie Kingston has told Santana and Ortiz that the reason you're not the AEW World Tag Team Champions is because of Chris Jericho. You've been doing Chris Jericho's dirty work this whole time and not focusing on you and the and what you guys want to do as a tag team. All right. So Santana and Ortiz told Jericho last week, hey, we're going to worry about our own in this match. We're not going to be worried about you. And that would play out in this match as Santana and Ortiz would tag out to each other, but they wouldn't tag in Jericho. And if Jericho tagged himself in one of Santana and Ortiz would tag themselves back in. So Jericho's getting the getting snubbed and he's not taking too kindly to it. 
So eventually, when it becomes clear that Santana and Ortiz aren't willing to work with Jericho, Jericho sort of gets off the ring apron. And he's just sort of pacing around like he doesn't know what to do. He's obviously not happy about the situation, but he's not. But he didn't just bail on his teammates either. He was there. He just wasn't up on the apron. And I can't remember which member of 2.0 it was, but they came off the ropes. Their head came through the ropes. Jericho gave the, the Judas effect to, to him. This allowed Santana and Ortiz to pick up the win. So all's good in the sense that the inner circle won. They won their match. But there's real dissension now being shown between Jericho and Santana and Ortiz. To the point where, like, okay, well, I mean... Are, are we just, is the inner circle just about done here? Because Sammy Guevara is out winning championships on his own. No one's even coming to the ring with him. I, I don't even know when the last time Jake Hager was on the show. I don't know if he's training for an MMA fight or what's next for Jake Hager. And Santana and Ortiz look like they might be moving towards aligning with Eddie Kingston. And we're moving into a Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston feud. And if this is the breakup of the inner circle, I mean, think of how important the inner circle has been to AEW. For that whole first year, they were the heel stable. That the the big angle in AEW for like a year was the elite versus the inner circle. Jericho's guys against the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Like, so, I, I mean, if the inner circle is breaking up, I mean... It's a big deal for AEW. Inner Circle played a huge role in in AEW's early success. You know, that first year, they were the top heel faction. They turned babyface. That second year, they had those that mammoth feud with the Pinnacle and then Chris Jericho into MJF. That all took like a year. And you had them in the, all the stadium stampede matches, the blood and guts match against the Pinnacle. So many important AEW moments have involved the inner circle. So now what is going to happen? I mean, I guess Jericho could just replace them in the faction, like pick another tag team. And then it's still him, Sammy Guevara and Jake Hager and another tag team. Naked feud with Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz in the Lucha. Oh, they should do that. Well, except for the Lucha Bros are all with Pac, and then they're entering that feud with the, the House of Black, so maybe they can't do that. But I don't know. It appears as though we might be at the end for the Inner Circle. So well, next up, we had just like a little promo, uh, a little backstage promo with Lance Archer and Jake Roberts, and they sort of announced that we're going to get Lance Archer and Hangman Page in two weeks in a Texas death match. And I thought this was cool because the last time we had a Texas death match in AEW, it was Lance Archer and he defeated John Moxley in a match for the IWGP United States Championship. So, I mean, that sort of makes sense in that, like, okay, Lance Archer beat John Moxley in this style of match. John Moxley is one of the best champions AEW's ever had. So now we get Lance Archer versus the current AEW champion in that style of match, too. So I think that's that's pretty cool. And, it uh, you know, a Texas death match and this whole 
angle of how um, Dan Lambert doesn't feel that Hangman Page lives up to the reputation of cowboys of wrestling history, such as Cowboy Bob Orton, Cowboy Bill Watts, put him in a Texas death match. I don't know. I thought that was pretty good. We also had a little backstage segment where the Jurassic Express uh, revealed they're going to give a title shot to Private Party on Rampage. But then we got to the CM Punk and MJF segment. So if you remember on the video last week, we sort of speculated that this could happen. Like, um, you know, they're going to Chicago next week. It just makes sense that MJF and CM Punk would take place on that show. But then you sort of think like, wow, it's like CM Punk versus MJF is a huge match. How is this not happening on pay-per-view? Especially when you consider the impact that CM Punk has had on AEW's pay-per-views. Like that one, that pay-per-view where he wrestled Darby Allen, like all out back in the fall, that was the best pay-per-view numbers that AEW has ever done, ever. And so you would think if you have this other match in your back pocket, like CM Punk versus MJF, that's one of the biggest matches you can have with CM Punk. Like, why would this not be on pay-per-view? But I guess when you're just doing pay-per-views, like, you know, four pay-per-views a year, you need some big matches in between. It just seems like CM Punk versus MJF is like one of the big biggest matches the company has. Ah, you know? How does it, that how does that not make it onto a pay-per-view? But I'll take it. I'm not complaining. We get that next week from Chicago. I guess maybe they wanted to do it in Chicago. You know, like CM Punk wrestling in Chicago is always such a big deal. But they're like always in Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> I guess like if you're going to have uh, like CM Punk, like AEW goes to Chicago for a pay-per-view once a year for All Out. You already did All Out CM Punk versus Darby Allen. You're not going to wait like a year to have CM Punk versus MJF. And, and there are like... Obviously, there are other matches for CM Punk to have. It it just feels like CM Punk and MJF are such a, a collision of personalities, you know? I mean, they're just complete opposites. It just feels like this is a pay-per-view program, but the big match is going to be on TV. And, it, like, who knows? Like, they'll, they'll probably have more than just one match. But I also think that this match is going to play in heavily into who challenges for the world title at Revolution. If MJF beats CM Punk, we could get uh, MJF versus Hangman Page at Revolution. If CM Punk beats Hangman Page, we could get CM... Or if CM Punk beats MJF, we could get CM Punk versus Hangman Page for the title at Revolution. If they wrestle and there's some chicanery or like a a non-conclusive finish, then we would get CM Punk versus MJF in some type of gimmick match at Revolution. That's what I would imagine. Like, I, I because both Punk and MJF talked about wanting to win the AEW world title and needing, you know, to put together a bunch of wins to get there, I, I would have to imagine that whoever wins this is, is going to be in line to challenge the champion soon. But I don't know. That's just speculation. So Punk has stolen MJF's Burberry scarf. 
And he came out and he came out dressed like he was going to wrestle, said he wanted to wrestle in Cleveland. And MJF would bring up later that Cleveland was the was the city that back in almost to the day eight years ago, CM Punk no showed the night after the Royal Rumble in 2014. Of course, he would never return to WWE. And I don't think like I I really don't think there would be many people that were in that audience that somehow felt slighted that CM Punk left the company the night before they came to their town, you know. But MJF sort of played that up that CM Punk like left. He abandoned. He no showed. Punk said that the the best thing that he ever did was leave. And the best thing that he ever did was come back. And talked about how, like, in Cleveland, they love guys who uh, get knocked down, get back up, and all that kind of good, solid, babyface rhetoric that CM Punk often uh, puts out there. So, long and short of it is, CM Punk wants to fight there in Cleveland. MJF says, uh, no, we're going to wrestle next week in Chicago. Now, remember, like, why would MJF want to wrestle in Chicago? Unless... And then, but then I started thinking, like, okay, it seems like, well, why would you want to wrestle Punk in Chicago when he's going to have that boisterous cl- crowd backing him up? But then, like, MJF, MJF would love that, right? Like, MJF would love to be the guy who beats Punk in Chicago. And he could beat Punk in Chicago. I don't know that he will, but he could. It totally could happen. Like, who do you guys think is going to win between Punk and MJF? I'm not sure. Honestly, it could go 50-50. MJF's not a guy that they have lose a lot. Like, I don't know. I mean, he lost, you know, via disqualification there uh, not too long ago. But I think the last time that he actually lost a match is when he challenged John Moxley for the world title on, I think it was a Revolution pay-per-view. So, I don't know. Oh, then anyway, the, the pinnacle comes out. Wardlow powerbombs Punk onto a chair. And this is where I thought... Wardlow could turn on the pinnacle because he's got his hometown fans chanting for him. It looks like it looked like what could have happened is that the pinnacle would we're going to ask him to powerbomb punk onto a chair, but that Wardlow, he would finally say, no, no, I won't do it anymore. I won't do what you tell me to. But that's not what happened. The pinnacle just softened up punk for MJF's match with them next week. And that's a huge match. CM Punk versus MJF live on Dynamite next week as I burp into the microphone. Next up, we had a match between the number one ranked Red Velvet against the number two ranked legit Layla Hirsch. And I've seen some rumblings as in like, why are these two ranked number one, number two? The rankings, well, not the rankings, but the win-loss records revert back to like 0-0 at the start of the year. The top five rankings kind of stay the same, but it's it's more of a clean slate than you would see in other wrestling promotions. So if you put if you string together th- three wins in January, you're going to be ranked even if those three wins all came on dark. So we've seen uh, Layla Hirsch sort of had a, uh, a heel turn that took place over a few weeks. She had a match with red velvet. Like they were a a tag team 
and Velvet and Hirsch didn't get along too well. One of them blind tagged themselves in and took the pin. I'm assuming it was Hirsch, but I can't really remember. We'd seen Layla Hirsch and Chris Statlander had a match. Statlander won. After the match, Statlander went to go shake Layla Hirsch's hand. Hirsch blew her off. So we're getting, we, we got these little clues that, hey, Layla Hirsch is going heel. Then she attacks them both in the back last week. And we get Hirsch versus Velvet this week. So they're wrestling. The finish of the match comes. Hirsch rolls up Red Velvet, grabs a hold of the tights. And gets the pin. So Hirsch gets the victory. Though it's a tainted victory. Because she used underhanded dirty tactics. And so now I I would have to imagine. When the rankings come out next week. Hirsch is going to be ranked number one. Red Velvet will be ranked a little lower. Um, so Hirsch continued the attack. After the match. Chris Statlander ran out. And made the save. So I'm assuming at some point. We're going to get another match. Between Chris Statlander and and Layla Hirsch. Next up, we had Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, sort of a, I guess you could call this a celebration of Britt Baker. So they've got all her Pro Wrestling Illustrated awards up, and and she's brought into the ring by Tony Schiavone, and that's, that's all this is. It's a celebration of Britt Baker. And she comes out, and she's got her Pittsburgh yellow and black colors on, and she runs down Cleveland. She would even give that line that she gave at the start of her heel turn where she said Cleveland's finally got a baker that they can trust. Of course, referring to their the quarterback that they have there in the Browns. I felt like the fans sort of stopped paying attention to what she was actually saying because it turned into like a like Cleveland sports fan defensiveness and hatred of Pittsburgh sports fans. Like, Britt Baker kept going on about her, but the fans stayed stuck on on the Cleveland-Pittsburgh sports rivalry, and they were chanting, you know, for the local sports teams and what have you now, and Baker seemed like she was having to talk over top of what the fans were doing. And it was almost like, okay, yeah, that, you know, that, that, being a big Pittsburgh sports fan in Cleveland, that's great to, to get you some booze and stuff like that. But when it kind of overshadows everything else that you're doing, you know, maybe it got taken a little bit too far. Maybe it was just that football has been so ridiculous recently that, that uh, you know, they couldn't help themselves a little bit. But she talks about having created the women's division uh, says that while she's happy with the award she, she's got, she's not happy with just being the female wrestler of the year. She wants to be the wrestler of the decade. And if you think about it, she's probably in the lead for that right now. Like if you count the 20s, like we're in the 20s now. Back in the 1900s, they had prohibition during this era. Uh, this century, we get AEW. So... Big, like, if you think of, like, who are the top women wrestlers in the world? Okay, you got Becky Lynch, but she, you know, she was gone for a year from, like, 2020, 2021. So she's only, she's only wrestled, like, six months so far in, in the decade. You got, like, Bianca Belair won the Royal Rumble, won the thing at WrestleMania, 
So like she's in the mix, but I wouldn't call her the the wrestler of the decade. You've got Charlotte Flair. She's always going to be up in the the running for the the best female wrestler of anything. But Britt Baker, I mean, she really has been the face of AEW's women's division over the last two years. She did win all those awards from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which are based on fan votes. So that counts for something. And she has been the AEW women's champion for a while. Like, she, she might be so far in the lead for female wrestler of, of the decade. Oh, we got eight years to go, but so far so good for Britt Baker achieving that. But I wonder who Britt Baker's next challenger is going to be. Because, again, much like with the world title, the men's world title, uh, the women's world title, we got about five weeks till revolution. So we've got to find a way to find a new challenger in that time frame. Now, Layla Hirsch is going to be the number one ranked uh, uh, wrestler, but I mean, her and Britt Baker, that doesn't seem like a very big match. I mean, I guess Chris Statlander could beat Layla Hirsch and then move on to uh, a feud with Britt Baker. I mean, Thunder Rose has got to be in that mix, right? I mean, because the last time we saw Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker wrestle, it was in a lights out match. So technically it doesn't count, but Thunder Rosa won that match. So now in storyline, like matchmakers couldn't use a lights out match as a reason to have a title match, right? Like you couldn't say, oh, well, Thunder Rosa beat Britt Baker in a lights out match. So that means she should get a title shot because in storyline, that match doesn't count. It doesn't happen. You can't, it doesn't count in win-loss records. It's like it, it's like it never happened. Only the fans saw it happen. So the fans know that Thunder Rosa can beat Britt Baker. But Thunder Rosa still has to do something else to qualify for that title shot. And Thunder Rosa is currently involved in a program with Mercedes Martinez. So perhaps Rosa gets by Mercedes Martinez. We find out it was actually Britt Baker who paid Mercedes Martinez to attack Thunder Rosa in the TBS title tournament. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what's next for Britt Baker. But I thought... Well, she did a great job here. I thought some of the some of the promo lost um like some of the promo was lost and the fans kind of chanting about Cleveland sports teams and hating Pittsburgh sports teams, but still all the same, Britt Baker. She's fantastic. <laughs> Lights out matches. It would be a lights out match that would main event this episode of AEW Dynamite as the rivalry between the best friends and the elite continue. Orange Cassidy versus Adam Cole. And so, again, wins and losses don't matter. And you've got Adam Cole, who is the number one ranked wrestler in AEW right now and is undefeated in the promotion. Except for he lost this match. But again, he lost this match. But he didn't really lose this match. Like in terms of storyline, wins and loss records, it this match didn't happen. And I, I think that's such an interesting sort of storyline device that AEW has where you have these matches that don't count. And, and you would think like on paper when you say that out loud, oh, yeah, it's so awesome. AEW has these matches that don't count. 
it sounds terrible, but it actually works out really well because, you know, like in the same way that Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, like it, it sets the stage for them to meet again down the line when the stakes are higher. And I, you know, I, in, in this case, it allowed Orange Cassidy to beat Adam Cole, but Adam Cole not to lose his his spot at the top of the rankings, his undefeated record. And it's going to allow Adam Cole to be like just furious that Orange Cassidy embarrassed him in this way. So much stuff happened during this match. I don't even know where to begin. We won't go over all of it, but uh, we have to talk about when Adam Cole goes out under the ring and he's looking to pull out, I think it was a ladder or a chair or a table or something, but attached to that ladder chair or something was Dan Housen. And this got a huge reaction in the building, but I was a little surprised at how big of a reaction it got. I like Dan Housen. I think he's really funny. But Dan Housen is like, he's only ever been on indie shows, right? Like he's never been on national TV. How do 6,000 people in Cleveland know who he is? You put him on a YouTube video, and that's going to go well. But I don't know. Maybe more people know who Danhausen is than I thought. Um, but even for the people that don't know who he is, obviously he has such an interesting appearance. Um, I'm going to go ahead and refer to Danhausen as kooky. Um, I think while I don't like how the word kooky sounds coming out of my mouth, it seems to sum Danhausen up rather uh, rather accurately. He is a kooky wrestler. So he comes out and, you know, he just looks weird, but he kind of does that thing where he's like, he's putting a curse on Adam Cole. And I wonder if that will play into things later, if Adam Cole will blame this loss on Danhausen because Danhausen put a spell on him maybe Danhausen will align with the best friends in this rivalry against the elite I don't know but I thought Danhausen is a good signing for AEW and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that a lot of people see Danhausen in the same way that they saw Orange Cassidy before Orange Cassidy was signed to AEW like this is an independent wrestling gimmick that'll just never fly uh, on a big stage like AEW. And you know, if they had if they have Danhausen do exactly the same kind of stuff that he was doing on the independents, it probably won't work. Just like if they had Orange Cassidy doing exactly the same thing that he did on the independents, that wouldn't have worked either. But if you're AEW and you've seen how much success you've had with Orange Cassidy, this sort of weird gimmick that got over big on the independents, and then you were able to turn this into a character who gets great television ratings, who sells a lot of merchandise. When somebody else comes along on the independents, who also has a bit of a kooky character that's getting over, of course you take a shot at it. Because if you can get even half the success that you've gotten with Orange Cassidy with Danhausen, that's that's money back on your investment. That's a that's a good thing for your company. So I wasn't surprised at all that Danhausen has signed with AEW. And Tony Khan would announce after this match that Danhausen has officially signed with AEW. 
I mean, I was a little surprised because I hadn't heard any rumors about him coming in. He's still like he's had a leg injury for like the longest time. Um, I don't know if he's cleared to wrestle. Um, he seemed to be walking fine, but he badly broke his like like right after Ring of Honor announced that they weren't renewing any contracts and everybody on the roster was going to be um, a free agent in 2022. He broke his leg like right after that, like right at the worst possible time. He breaks his leg. Um, so I don't know if he's cleared to compete. He might be. In which case, I mean, I don't know what black magic sorcery he used to heal his leg in record time, but... You know, maybe he is a little bit magical, that kooky, kooky Danhausen. Um, so it was Orange Cassidy, Adam Cole. They uh, continue. They have a epic brawl, lots of plunder, lots of lots of different stuff. Uh, the elite and the best friends both come out and they brawl. I noticed maybe I was wrong, but I could not find Kyle O'Reilly anywhere in this mix. So I think O'Reilly may may have missed the show. I don't know if that was due to covid or just having the week off or, or whatever. Um, so sort of the storyline was that uh, Orange Cassidy hurt his hand. He, he tried to do an orange punch. He hit the ring bell. His hand was all busted up. Cole worked on the hand. So there was that storyline uh, running throughout the match. Finally, we just uh, get to a spot where they're on the stage. Orange Cassidy gives Cole like a hug, like the best friend's hug. Uh, but then just uses it to suplex him off the stage into some obvious crash mats that were on the floor. Um, and then he got the he got the pin there. So Orange Cassidy picks up the victory over Adam Cole in a match that doesn't count. But still, we've all seen it happen. And yeah, they did like <laughs> like I remember when Chris Jericho got thrown off off the top of the blood and, and guts cage. And everyone was all up in arms because they saw the crash mats and stuff like that. I mean, me personally, I would much rather that my favorite wrestlers don't suffer serious injuries. So having crash mats is absolutely essential. Don't try and do it without it. Uh, why injure your, your, your top wrestlers just to appease a small minority of fans who for some reason would rather the wrestlers get seriously hurt? during their performances. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, they crash through the mat and you're like, oh, there's some mattresses there. But that's fine. That's that's They should be there. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how this now furthers the best friends versus the elite rivalry. Because we had mentioned in last week's video, the elite have won almost every match in this rivalry. There was just like one tag match I think that they hadn't won uh, but other than that the elite had won everything and when Cole and Cassidy met in singles action not a lights out match Adam Cole won that match but now you've got this match that's sort of off the record that Orange Cassidy wins where does that take the elite and best friends rivalry and of course in like four or five weeks we're going to have revolution I wonder if we get sort of a faction versus faction match on that pay-per-view. We could get, uh, like, we can't do stadium stampede because there's no nearby stadium. Um, couldn't do blood and guts because 
Well, I, guess, I mean, I guess you could, but uh, you'd have to put two rings in there. So I, I don't know. But like some type of stable versus stable match could be upcoming for the elite and the best friends. Just, you know, especially now with the inner circle not playing as much of a role or not being as much of a faction in, in AEW, you know, you could have your first like sort of stadium stampede or blood and guts match where the inner circle is not involved. So we'll see where it goes from there. But I thought that was an excellent way to close off what was really, I thought a, a great episode of dynamite. I mean, when you look at the, the first match and the last match, those were incredible. And then you've got the CM punk MJF stuff uh, within that. And I thought the, Inner Circle 2.0 Daniel Garcia stuff was interesting. So there was a lot of good stuff on this show. And there's a lot of good stuff on the shows that are coming up. So just taking a look at the matches that have been announced for Rampage. We'll have John Moxley taking on Anthony Bowens. We're going to have a match that we were supposed to get last week, but I'm assuming somebody got exposed to COVID. So we'll have FTR versus Lee Johnson and Brock Anderson. For the TB... Oh, this is interesting. For the TBS title, we have Jade Cargill taking on julia hart now in the back we got a backstage segment this week where mark sterling came up to julia hart who was with griff garrison uh brian pillman's out with a concussion by the way um so mark sterling's like guess what good news julia hart jade cargill has picked you for her next challenger for the tbs title because of course she would of course jade cargill would want to face a woman who has been partially blinded by Malachi Black's mist. That makes all the sense in the world. She gets to fend off another challenge, take the winner's share of the purse, which just got cut off there. But anyway, Jim Ross has been big on there being winner's shares of purses recently. So Jade Cargo would pick up another winner's share of the purse when she takes on Julia Hart and not expecting much of a challenge there because she's only got vision in one eye. And then in what I imagine will be the main event on Rampage tonight, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus defend against Private Party. Then next week on Dynamite, we will have CM Punk against MJF and the House of Black, Malachi Black and Brody King against the Death Triangles, Pack and Penta L Zero. Then in two weeks, we will have a Texas Death Match for the AEW World Championship as Lance Archer challenges Hangman Page. And that'll do us again for this video, everyone. Thanks so much for supporting Spoiler Free Wrestling. If you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe and like button and share this video with anyone who you feel would appreciate this style of wrestling coverage. I'm Gentleman Ian for Spoiler Free Wrestling.